Cloudcast Media presents, from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delp and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, and welcome back to episode 104. Uh, As we were yesterday, we are here at... Uh, LinuxCon and Cloud Open um, here in New Orleans, uh, coming to you live again today. Um, today, once again, our uh, our sponsors are Open at Citrix and the Linux Foundation. And today, uh, we are very uh, very excited about it. We're going to have a full show today. Uh, very excited to have Thomas Hatch, uh, founder creator of SaltStack, with us today. We're going to talk a little bit of DevOps. We're going to talk a little bit about automation and provisioning. So, Thomas, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So let's go ahead and get started. Aaron, how are you this morning? And a night out in in New Orleans? Uh, yeah, but not as late as everyone would think. All right. It was, uh, you know, I'm still recovering from the crud, so. We went out on Bourbon Street. Yeah, we went out on Bourbon Street and had a few drinks, but <laughs> it was an early night. Um, so I just want to say, Thomas, the, I would say probably the biggest thing is, um, you know, heard heard some things about SaltStack, mm-hmm. but as of OSCON this year, I was at OSCON, and it was, like, exploded. <laughs> like SaltStack name was really like literally everywhere at OSCON and that's when I was like oh okay cool we really got to get you on the show man <laughs> yeah I was going to say over over say the last six months our exposure has gone through the roof it's been it's been really exciting to see so give us you know just give us a little bit of background how do you uh, you know SaltStack I guess if, if we had to put it in a bucket falls into the bucket of sort of DevOps types of tools automation tools like how did it get started? What was the what was the origination for yet another framework that is going to help uh, you know sysadmins and DevOps folks? What what was your thinking behind building it? I mean, that's that's one thing that's really different with Salt is because I mean a lot of those tools are very targeted towards configuration management, and that's a lot of what the what the whole DevOps concept has been defined as. Um, but Salt originated from more of a total infrastructure management concept. Uh, the ori- the uh, origin of it was around this remote execution concept where we're saying that uh, we can communicate with hundreds or thousands of systems at uh, breakneck speeds, or we say real-time, um, which in infrastructure terms means you can get information from many thousands of servers in a few seconds and then look at it. And so, I mean, that was really the core concept, and I didn't feel like that was being addressed at all. My idea being that we get... Uh, we get this remote execution piece in place that's fast enough and that we can start layering more components on top of it. And we get most of our attention for the fact that we've got an extremely powerful and easy to use and just awesome config management engine. Uh, but there's a lot of other things inside of SaltStack that, uh, that people should be aware of that make life a lot easier. And most of our users, once they've used it for a little while, they start to come back and they say, oh, well, we see that we can do everything that we can do with a normal configuration management system inside of Salt, but we've got all these other capabilities as well because of this whole communication framework. Yeah. Now, was that something that you guys built from scratch, or was that building off of existing technology you'd worked on before, or uh, you know, the remote execution, the speed of how that works? Uh, that's all built from scratch. Okay. So the yeah, the concept there is that uh, it all works over zero MQ using a pub-sub mechanism to be able to send out really small commands out to all of the, um, all of the agents that are running. Um, and, and then they're able to process that information asynchronously and send the return data back. 
And then we've got, um, since it's all zero MQ under the hood, there's it's all asynchronous and queuing, so it's really easy for the salt master to be able to handle um, hundreds and thousands of concurrent connections. So that, that starts to get into an interesting thing. So we've had folks like Cumulus Networks, right? So, so uh-huh. obviously a lot of what... Um, you know, people tend to think of as this is going to be great for deploying servers or you know converged server storage. But we're starting to see more like networking types of devices that can embed Linux process, can embed you know that actually run Linux. Are you starting to see people that want to do more than management of sort of server infrastructure? They're wanting to step into load balancers or, or networking as as well, or is that still kind of out on the horizon? Uh, no, we're starting to see a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and then there's a lot of demand for it. A lot, uh, primarily, some of our near-term um, changes or updates and features inside of Salt are really heavily focused around being able to have Salt reach out and uh, work with network devices in a very seamless way. Um, and we've talked to a number of companies, I mean, Cumulus being one of them, right. about uh, about getting our agent running on um, on their devices. Um, actually, yeah, quite a few companies we've talked to about that. And we're working with, with with respect to remote management of network devices. Um, <clears throat> and so really what we're beginning to see is, yeah, this unified concept of infrastructure management where, like you're saying, it's not uh, just a server piece. Right. Now, tell me a little bit about security aspects of it all. Because, yeah, when you say, you know, thousands of nodes, real time, like there's potentially a oh shit moments. That could happen, right? <laughs> no, there, there definitely are. Salt gives you a lot of power, right. a lot of flexibility, and uh, we've been we've been very careful about security. Um, I mean, regardless of how you put a system like this together, there's always security concerns. Whether you're using our stack, which is ZermQ based, or if you're doing something via SSH. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I should mention where we uh, this, the next release of Salt that I'm trying to cut right now, but I've been kind of busy. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, it comes with Salt running in uh, in an agentless mode over SSH as well. Okay. So you've got that option. Um, but yeah, from a security perspective, uh, we've got a lot of controls in place that allow you to make it very granular to say that certain users have certain access to do certain things on certain systems. Uh, we've got a lot of routines that allow you to execute routines in test mode and find out exactly what it is you're about to destroy. Right. Um, all those sorts of things. That's that's probably key. As you know, I've goes back a long way, but I have data center infrastructure management days. and Back yeah, in the mainframe? Yeah, back in the mainframe. It was a step above the mainframe, probably. But it was IBM. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, managing, you know, at that point, it was hundreds of servers and thousands of desktops remotely, and we did it all relatively, and it would push out packages and do mm-hmm. updates and all that stuff. But, yeah, there was definitely a lot of the pre-testing tools weren't what they should be so there was a lot of hit the button and then kind of like cringe and hope it went okay and yeah you know stuff would blow up right and so that how do you roll back or how do you keep it secure so it doesn't go where it needs to be that it doesn't get out of control is absolutely something oh yeah yeah and we've built a lot of mechanisms to try and alleviate those issues i mean there's Still not much you can do about somebody who decides to just do something foolish apart from not give them access. <laughs> <laughs> what? So, so kind, of, kind of build on that a little bit. I mean, what is the, what's the SALT framework look like for, so let's say you've, you've got an operations team, 
you know, that's either running, you know, obviously multiple shifts or multiple tiers of skill sets. Like, what, is, what does the framework look like in terms of giving them access? Can you, can you tier it? Can you, is it, is it role-based? Uh, what, what does that look like so that the junior guy can do certain things that maybe not screw a lot of stuff up, a more senior guy? Or how does, how does that work in your framework? Okay. So there's, there's actually quite a few different ways that you can approach, approach the problem. Um, from a pure remote execution perspective, um, this, the interface that we've got is that SALT is able to um, authenticate with external sources um, or with sources right on the SALT master. And then uh, you can assign users to roles or groups uh, and say that they're able to do certain things. Okay. Um, when we get into the layer of configuration management instead of just remote execution, uh, we've got a concept inside of SALT um, where you're able to layer config management systems or sources. So it's really easy to say that the SALT master, it's able to directly integrate with Git and Mercurial at this point so that uh, so you just point it to where your SALT formulas are in Git somewhere. And you can give it this list of formulas to say, or sorry, list of Git remotes or Mercurial remotes. And then it prioritizes those, which makes it really easy to say, okay, the top priority is going to be the ones that block out all of the uh, all of the files that are managed by central uh, the central guys, and then we've got lower tiers that can that have access to files that we're okay with giving to the junior guys. I mean, one great example of this is um, we've got a number of universities using Salt, and what they do is they have core IT, and core IT sets up these top-level repositories so that they're able to do what I'm, do what I'm right. explaining, to right. say, here's all of our security frameworks, here's all of the fundamental stuff, and then they're able to give their individual departments repositories that are lower tier yeah. so that they have access to make modifications, but they feel safer doing it. Yeah, universities are always a, an interesting kind of customer and use case because it's like wide open Wild West from a security perspective. they got people coming in and out. You've got departmental politics. You've got hierarchies. It's it's kind of a good place to figure out how <laughs> battle-tested your products can become very quickly. Yeah, well, we've, we've run into some very unique situations in universities. Right, right. <laughs> so, so give us a, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before the show. Give us an example of, of sort of a use case, uh, you know, somebody coming to you with kind of a crazy idea that's like, I could have never done that prior to SALT. I can do that now or just... Some, you know, sort of those aha moments people have had using the product. They were like, wow, if, I, if I'd have known this, my life would have been better two years ago or, or something along those lines. Sure. Um, one of my favorite uh, cases to talk about is, is Wikimedia. So uh, they're a heavy puppet shop, mm -hmm. and they have a lot of puppet manifests. And they deployed Salt and not, not for configuration management because they said, well, we're not going to rewrite all of our manifests. <clears throat> But what they use SALT for is continuous code deployment. And so SALT, again, there's a lot of things that SALT can do outside of config management. And so they have, uh, they have Jenkins running out in their environment on a, uh, on a SALT minion. And then they've opened up what we call the peer interface. Now, the peer interface says that one of the, um, one of the clients out in the environment is able to send commands to other systems. And we have the same controls on that to say they can send certain commands to certain systems. And so they open up the peer interface so that when Jenkins finishes a job, it's able to execute a routine that triggers um, a tier of systems relative to the job that it's finishing to automatically deploy that built code. Okay. I mean, in a nutshell. Yeah. 
And, um, yeah, and that's, I mean, at least from what they're telling us, that's worked very well for them. Okay. And yeah, we've got we've got a number of situations so like this, that. So this, so that's always the other question people ask is, you know, is is this only sort of a greenfield thing? You obviously have to have a way to plug into Jenkins, potentially grab a puppet manifest or, or fit into that broader ecosystem because mm-hmm. people don't want to rip out what they have necessarily, or they they want to go solve a, a new set of problems. And okay, so that's that's that piece is really important. We 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 talk to some people sometimes and they go. Yeah, we don't have a way to deal with any legacy stuff, or we don't have a. Um, so I got to imagine you deal with that quite a bit, or at least architecturally. How do I fit into somewhere else? Yeah, that's something that we run into a lot, and that's a that's a real big design goal of Salt is to be just insanely flexible, so that we're able to just drop into any infrastructure and add to it and make it uh, well easier to work with. Okay. I mean, we've got a ton of guys out there that are u- using us in conjunction with, uh, yeah, with other config management tools, automating them. Um, Salt has systems that allow you to hook all of the data that you're collecting for or using inside of Salt. You can hook into an external database or a CMDB, and then inject that data into the Salt system. Um, and similarly, back on back on the other end. Salt has systems that makes it really easy to redirect the data back into virtually any database. Um, well, I, I could go on for quite a while, but we've got a <laughs> lot of hooks well, into and, making and it easy. You, for, you mentioned yeah. you were mentioning things like you know Salt Master, Salt Minion, and you know Agents, Agent Less, and so maybe too is maybe give us a, a, a step back, a Salt Architecture 101. Okay. Um, because I'm kind of putting all the pieces together here, but it, it may be good to hear it directly. Oh, yeah. So uh, so the core uh, architecture of SALT is that you've got a SALT master, mm-hmm. and then you install our agent, which you call minions, um, out inside of the environment. And then all of those minions are connected back to the SALT master and listening for commands. Um, and that's, again, that's the really fundamental architecture. Now, we've got this concept in SALT that we call topologies which allows you to create more complex architectures. The idea being that that architecture works really well for a pretty straightforward um, infrastructure, not incredibly large or anything like that. But when we get into larger infrastructures or more complicated infrastructures, uh, we've got systems uh, like the Salt Syndic. That allows you to create these management tiers. So you can say you've got a salt master in different data centers, and they're handling their own minions directly. But That's how you can do geographic disbursement exactly. kind of scenarios. Okay. Okay. But yeah, we can tie into a higher level system. And so there's a lot of uh, those topology concepts. That peer system I was talking about with, uh, uh, with Wikimedia is one of those. Um, and then there's the salt reactor and the event system and things of that nature where we're able to listen to events that are happening in the infrastructure and build arbitrary reactions. So we can say, if something happens in the infrastructure, we're going to react to it this way and send commands into the, um, well, and tell Salt to do something. Sure. Now, what is your equivalent of recipes or manifests or things like that? Yeah, we call them formulas. Formulas, okay. Um, and and is, there a, is it a specific Salt stack language? that they're written in, or what is the syntax of formulas? So formulas, or the in, in SALT, uh, the config management system inside of SALT has been made to be, uh, well, it's based on data modeling. And so what happens there is that is that it's all about building up some simple JSON serializable data structures. It's just some dictionaries and lists. Um, 
what that means is that it doesn't matter what language you express it in. And so by default, we use YAML with Jinja templating. Um, but we also ship with a fully functional Python DSL. Um, you can write them in pure Python. You can use any templating language you'd like. If you wanted to, you could write them in XML. Um, nobody's wanted to. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> but just as an it's example. Good, it's good for those government RFPs that need a lot of checkboxes. <laughs> Do you support it? Yes, I support XML. <laughs> Don't use this. <laughs> Not recommended, yeah. yeah. Um, Very cool. So, you know, SaltStack is obviously your company. Uh -huh. um, for folks that want to go explore Salt, get, you know, kind of get involved with it, give us the sort of the hierarchy of salt stack as a company and product versus what it might exist in a distribution today or as a you know open something I like what how do i go get salt what's the what's the breakdown of your company versus say the free version of a software stuff like that so that's actually we've, we've taken an interesting approach here we've spent a lot of time researching um uh, what it means to monetize open source we've spent a lot of time researching what's going on right now um, we've discovered that a lot of the companies that go open core, um, especially the startups, have a really hard time monetizing that uh, that enterprise product. Um, and, and real quick, just because I know some people will have questions, can you define open core? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Because just to make sure there's no assumptions here. Yeah, well, open core is that you've got open source software and then you... Uh, uh, and then you more or less neuter it or hold back features and make them proprietary. Right. Um, and so I mean, that's one of the reasons why Salt is completely open source. The goal there being that, uh, how do I put this? Actually, I've said this a thousand times. I shouldn't have to rethink it. <laughs> <laughs> autopilot, autopilot. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, is that Salt's framework is such that we can expand on it so exponentially and that there's so much that we can do there that we realized that if we created an open core, we'd be, we'd be cutting off the head of the golden goose. It really prevents innovation from happening. And, and we've found that it's a serious disservice to our customers as well as our users because at the end of the day, what happens is that many of our customers come back and they say, well, okay, we're going to pay you for SaltStack Enterprise, which is a version of Salt that is commercially supported, um, but it's not feature-enhanced. As far as feature enhancement in it, that's that we're that, that uh, our support entitles our users to get custom modules for their internal deployments that don't make sense to open source anyway. Sure. Um, but that's really resonated. We've had a lot of guys come back and they've been really excited to buy SaltStack Enterprise and buy those licenses because they're interested in having a commercially supported product. And it's easier for them to push it through the pipes because it is a product. It's not just us saying buy support for something that's open source. And at the same time, we're not doing anything um, to prevent this ongoing innovation or the growth of our community. So, for instance, the web UI that, we're, that, uh, that we just released called Halite um, is also completely open source. We're not. We don't have a proprietary web UI that we're holding back. Um, we, let's see. Yeah, all of our advanced uh, high availability features and tiering systems that I mentioned. Those are all open source. We're not here saying, well, if you want to scale, you have to pay us money. We're here saying, use our stuff. And then on any big infrastructure, we've we've had a lot of positive feedback that people want to be commercially supported and run our licensed version. And that's working out very, very well. Yeah. 
Very cool. Very cool. So yeah, yeah, in essence, people are paying for where they see value and you know where they want to drive innovation, they can drive it. Where they want to borrow your expertise, use your expertise, they can pay for that, and that works absolutely. Yeah, it's it's all about delivering people what they actually want, not yeah. what we want to sell. Novel, <laughs> novel concept. <laughs> well, very cool. Well, listen, um, we know you you're really busy. Um, you, you know, you're you're here. You've got some other stuff you've got to go get to. Um, we want to thank you for the time. This has been a good conversation. Um, if people want to get go start playing with salt, what's the best way to get started? What do you find is the best first steps for people? Okay. So right on the front page of our documentation at docs.saltstack.com, um, we have an initial walkthrough. Okay. And so that official walkthrough gets you through um, setting up Salt initially and getting going with it. Salt is actually very, very easy to set up. Um, you, can, you can install it from most of the major Linux distributions, uh, packages, and if those aren't available, we ship with... Uh, something called Salt Bootstrap, which is a script which will uh, go and find, or I should say add the package repositories that you need automatically for your distribution, and then download and install Salt. And that script can download and install a release, it can install it from Git, it's very, very, very flexible. Um, And it works on Linuxes and BSD. Salt runs on Windows, so we've got quite a few Windows users. We have really good Windows support. Interesting. So, so yeah, we've got a lot of guys managing large desktop environments and Windows Server environments. We've actually got uh, yeah one of our big customers that we'll be able to announce uh, soon. We're still kind of finalizing that deal. Um, yeah, it's a really big Windows shop, and they picked us mostly because our Windows support. They came back and said our Windows support dramatically trumps everybody else. Very nice. <coughs> yeah, very cool. Yeah. Well, you want to? I'll uh, put the uh, link. Yeah, we'll get links to all this stuff in the show notes so yeah. people can go back and look at them. And- Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you want to take us home? Yes, absolutely. Before we go, we would like to thank our sponsors once again, Open at Citrix, open.citrix.com, and the Linux Foundation, linuxfoundation.org. Um, if you like the show, please tell a friend or leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter at the Cloudcastnet or on the web at thecloudcast.net where you can find links to everything Cloudcast. Thanks for listening.